0: Hi, and welcome to the Southern Connecticut Church of Christ podcast. We've provided a collection of sermons, our midweek lessons, music, and many more tools to help you grow in your walk with God. We are living in an unprecedented and challenging time, but we invite you to listen in and be encouraged as we fight through this together. Be sure to subscribe and feel free to share this podcast with your friends and loved ones. Thanks for listening. Okay, so let's be turning over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, We're now into February. We're pretty well into February. And uh, as you know that this is the the month where we talk about love. We've got a different renewal theme for every month and we've uh, begun to work this month, February, on renewed love. We did that for our midweeks this past Tuesday and Wednesday. And uh, it was really great to have Larry Reed here last week. And he spoke on this topic of renewed love. We're gonna go ahead and pick up on that theme again today and talk about why love is the greatest. Uh, In 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, Paul says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Now, why would Paul say that the greatest is love? I mean, hope is pretty great, faith is pretty great, there's a lot of things that are great, but why would Paul consider this love to be the absolute greatest thing? Well, because without it, without love, you have nothing. Jump back with me at the beginning of this text, and we're going to look at verse 1. So this is 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith, that can move mountains, but do not have love, I have I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, and I give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Now these are all really impressive things. Faith that can move a mountain, you know, giving your body up. You know, he talks about um, you know, if I can fathom all mysteries, or if I have all knowledge. I mean, actually nobody can do these things, right? So Uh, nobody can, can nobody has all knowledge. Nobody can, you know, figure out all mysteries. Uh, I think we, we can have faith to move a mountain. That's true. We can do that. But I mean, these are really, really impressive things and they might even be considered great things. But the bottom line, according to Paul is without love, no matter how great they are, they're pretty meaningless. I mean, here us mere mortals, we can do some pretty amazing, great things in our lives, right? So we can do impressive things with our lives. You could discover a cure. You could uh, make a fortune. You could, you know, become famous. You could be the fastest person alive. You could jump the highest. You can set Olympic records. You can invent the next big thing, whatever it might be. You could even get to a place where you've achieved something that nobody else has ever, ever done or you could just simply be an average person doing all the right things. And even with all that, you can still end up with nothing. How, how is that? Well, it really doesn't matter what you do or how much of it that you do. If the very core of you is without love. Paul says at that point, you are nothing. So why is that? Why is love so important and why is love considered the greatest thing? Well, what, what makes something the greatest? Why, why would love be considered the greatest? I mean, there's a lot of really great things, right? So we could say, what about trust? What about surrender? What about repentance? What about integrity? What about surrender? What about sincerity? I mean, why wouldn't those be the greatest? I mean, we can say they're all really important, right? But why does does this love rise to the top? Well, because it's actually at the bottom. Love is not an add-on thing. Love is the foundation to everything else that we do. Everything is is added to that. You know, in Matthew 22, there's a story of Jesus being asked a question. And uh, the question is, you know, of all, the, of all the things, of all the commandments, what is the greatest? And Jesus knew exactly what to say at the moment. He says, well, there's, there's two things. First, you've got to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And so love is what everything in the Bible is built on. It's what everything we do, every, everything that we are as Christians is built on. And as Jesus said, everything hangs on this love. You Take that away and you have nothing. You take that away and we are nothing. And Jesus made this love for us as disciples such an important part of who we are. And uh, And I love what he says here in John chapter 13. And you can jot this down, or you can flip over there with me if you like. John 13, he says in verse 34 A new command I give you love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so, as Christians, we can do a lot of really good things. But you know what? We're not the only people that do good things. And you probably know that. There's a lot of people in the world that do really, really good things, that serve great causes and and work in wonderful ways to help humanity, really, really good, awesome things. But what will stand out and set us apart is not the quantity of the things that we do, but rather the quality of our love. And so Jesus says, as I have loved you, so you should really go and love one another. Now, let's look at another scripture. This is in 1 John chapter 4. And uh, you might be a little familiar with this if you're part of the church, because I think both Florence and I used this at the midweek this week. But in 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, listen to what John says. Dear friends, love... Or, I'm sorry, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love god lives in us and his love is made complete in us and i really want to focus on the idea of god's love being made complete because isn't love most meaningful when it's complete so you really don't have a love with somebody else if the love is not reciprocated back to you i mean you can love somebody else but it's empty when you don't feel like you're being loved back and we see this a lot in relationships and marriages Uh, And and even in friendships, that there's one side that loves, you know, immensely. And then the other side that for whatever reason does not show that love back. But when we think about our love with with God, our love for God and with God, it's when we show our love for each other that God's love is really made complete. Because that's when we understand love the way that God understands love. And i believe that this is where paul is going in first corinthians chapter 13 so we're actually going to go back there so let's go ahead and flip back to first corinthians 13 and uh, we're going to pick up where we left off and uh, this is a great set of scriptures and we also looked at this in the midweek we're going to blow it out just a little bit more tonight from what we did uh, on tuesday and wednesday but this is probably the quintessential set of scriptures on love there are many obviously that are great But this is probably the best area where we turn, the best part of the Bible that we turn to, to really specifically define love and how we are to show this love with each other. And so we typically call these the marks of love. But let's go ahead and read beginning of verse four. And I'm just going to read them all. And then we're just going to highlight a few of them. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now, we'll stop there right now. I know it's midway through the verse. We're going to pick up the rest of the verse here in just a little bit. But let's go ahead and and, and break these down just a little bit here. Everything that we just read, I'll be really honest with you, I am working on immensely and i fall short a lot Uh, i am very much a work in progress when it comes to love when it comes to showing love when it comes to receiving love and uh, and i still wrestle with a lot of these things and i've been a disciple 36 years and there are things here that i continually have to work on they just seem to go against my basic human nature and i know that has to do with how we were raised and tons of different things, right? I'm not a psychologist, but I know there's a lot that goes in to the makeup of who we are and, and how we are with things. So I am very much a work in progress. Maybe you are as well, maybe to a lesser or greater degree. But I think if we're really honest, we're all wrestling through at least one or more of these different marks of love. And you know what? I, I'm I'm trying to have more victories than defeats. I do have victories and I do have defeats, but I'm really committed to God to trying to have more victories than I do defeats. And hopefully you'll be able to see that as the years go by. But uh, I'm definitely trying to have more victories in these areas. But let's go ahead and take a look at them. He said, love is patient. Would you consider yourself to be a patient person? I mean, we all struggle, I think, to some degree, right? We all have that breaking point where whatever it might be gets on our last nerve. And some people's breaking point is really early on. Some people, it comes much later. But we have to understand that in life, we're not all at the same place at the same time. And so we all have stuff going on. We all have baggage. We all have different ways that we process things. And we all have triggers, right? There are different triggers that, that, Influence how you hear something or how you process something that's being said to you or something that you, you see. You know, there are certain ways that we, we respond and we react to things. And we all have different backgrounds that maybe play into that or maybe life experiences, whether they be good or they be bad. And the more that you can accept that, that not everyone is the same and that not everybody is like you, then I think the more patient that we will learn to be but if we if we really love each other with the biblical love that God has for us, then hopefully we're going to be able to, to develop a much stronger sense of patience with each other. Then he goes on to say love is kind and just like patience, kindness is a fruit of the spirit and so it's it's how you treat people and in, in Christ kindness should should always be evident. I know sometimes it's not, but It should always be something that even if we act unkind in the moment we we recognize it we come back we apologize just like we should if we're impatient we come back we recognize it we come back we apologize we keep working on it we keep praying about it but i love the scripture in ephesians chapter 4 verse 29 says do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. And even if you have an issue with somebody, which we all know is going to happen, because even though we're disciples, doesn't mean... We don't have issues anymore. Even if you have an issue with somebody, you can still have that issue and resolve things in kindness. We don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. So let's make sure with all of us that we're trying, no matter what's going on, to still be kind. Then he says, it does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It's not self-seeking. You know, the thing that I love about the cross is that it levels the playing field. We're all the same at the foot of the cross. I learned that 36 years ago, and I believe it still holds for today. We're all in this together. Nobody is more important than you, and you're not more important than anybody else. Doesn't matter what job you have, what position you have, how much money you have, or how much stuff you have, or what background you come from, or or where you live. We're all one in Christ. And so with that, there shouldn't be an envy or a boasting or a self-seeking or a pride. We look at each other equally. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ, and we should all live together as just one body of brothers and sisters in Christ. And then he says, keeps no record of wrongs. Imagine if God kept a record of wrongs. I mean, we would all be doomed. We wouldn't have a chance. But God, in his uh, amazing grace, is able to forgive and move on. And we should, too, also be able to forgive and move on. We all mess up. We're all guilty. We all need to be able to just drop it and, and, and move past it. It's not worth hanging on to, hanging on to any kind of record of wrongs only increases the bitterness in the chasm between us. So if you need a good talk, have a good talk, whatever it takes. If you need to have a good prayer, have a good prayer. Maybe you need both, probably all and more. But whatever it is, if you feel like, yeah, there's somebody that I've held onto a record of wrongs or I've got an outstanding bitterness to, I really urge you to, to reach out to whomever it is and let's get it resolved so we don't have that record of wrongs, that 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 guiltiness hanging over each each other's heads. That's a real bad place to be. But then you get verse seven. And verse seven is the place that certainly I want to get to, and I think that should be the goal for all of us to get to. It always protects always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Now, as I read this, there is not a sometimes or an on occasion to be found. This is a love that goes the distance all the time and stays intact no matter what. And it's a love that works through things and doesn't bail out. And then he said that the last part, the beginning part of verse eight, this is a love that doesn't fail. And look, I think we all have a ways to go before we can say, yes, I am there all the time, every time. I know I've got a long ways to go before I can say, yes, I'm there all the time, every time. But this is this is what we should be working on. These are the things that we should always be applying ourselves in prayer And in in fellowship with other people about, hey, how can you help me with these? It would be a really great idea to maybe write these verses out, verse uh, four through verse, the beginning of verse eight. And maybe put that on your refrigerator or someplace where you can just be reminded of these things, because these are the things that we need to work on. Now, let's go a little bit further into the text. Typically, we stop right there, but we're actually going to finish this. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they'll be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is, um, what is in part disappears. So what does that mean? I mean, this, this part can be a little bit of confusing, right? So typically we bail out long before we get to this part in the text. But it's there for a reason. Now, there are several ways... That we can interpret this and one way that is a pretty popular uh, way that the uh, theologians look at this is that this was a foretelling of the end of the apostolic age what do we mean by that well the age of the apostles right so while they were living and breathing and walking and this is maybe the beginning of the bible uh, as we know it coming together and, and god's word god's you know perfect word coming in, in one form that we would all get and by this time by the time of this writing, uh, all the works of the New Testament writers were already being gathered together and we were, be cons- were being considered as inspired scripture. And so now with this standard forming and the church started, the thought was there would be no longer any need for a direct prophecy from God to man to confirm his message, that we would have this Bible, and that would that would confirm everything. So all that we need is right here in this Bible. And this word teaches us to love and to live the way Jesus did. Now that interpretation does make a lot of sense, and it does have quite a, a strong following. Um, and even Paul's downplaying, if you were to go into chapter 14, Paul really downplays the, the uh, charismatic gifts. So, that would maybe support it to some degree, but I think there's another way to view this. And I think it really gets to the heart of why Paul is saying that love is the greatest. And this may also be Paul painting a picture of what it might be like when we actually get to heaven and we see Jesus. Now, we know that he did have a glimpse of heaven, and so he knows what he's talking about here. But I think on that day, Whenever we walk through that door or that gateway or whatever it looks like, I believe everything changes. There will be no need for prophecy because the reality of God will be crystal clear. And there will be no need for languages or interpretation because we're all going to be speaking the same angelic language. So you and your brothers and sisters from all parts of the globe, will speak one angelic language. And there will be no more need for knowledge because at that point, you're standing in front of, of Lord God Almighty and you will know everything. Now, we look a little further into verse 11. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Let's talk about that for a moment. Let's face it, all of us, even the best of us, the, the strongest of us, has a hard time in life. We all stumble. Our thinking can be off, our motives can be off, our action can be off. And although the the Bible is perfect, our understanding of it, and even our application of it is far from perfect. And and even though we try as hard as we can to to live the lives that God calls us to and to to really be the, the Christians that God calls us to, we can be off. And because of our flaws, and our weaknesses and our sins. Sometimes when we look in in a spiritual mirror, which could be the Bible, that's a great spiritual mirror, right? When we look in the mirror, we too often see only a poor reflection of who we really can be in Christ. And I know sometimes we look in the Word and we say, man, this is like such an amazingly high standard, and I fall short all the time. And that can be a little frustrating. But I think God wants us to see something different. And when we get to heaven and we are face to face with the creator, the blinders come off, the veil will be lifted, and we will know and appreciate full well who we are and what we have in Christ. I mean, that's an amazing thing to look forward to. And the childish and the immature ways will be behind us and this, this maturity in Christ is going to prevail. And we'll be able to say to, to God and to each other, I made it, I'm here. And as God fully knows us, at that point, we will fully know God. But we're not there yet. And I don't know when that day is gonna come for you. I don't know when that day is gonna come for me. But until that day comes, Life is somewhat of a project, isn't it? And we all have projects going on. How many projects do you have around your house that are started but not quite completed yet? And you're hoping to get to it and finish it, but it's still incomplete. That's how life is. It's it's an incomplete project. And as with all projects, we have to keep working on how we love because that's a big part. In fact, it's it's the biggest part. It's the foundation of who we are we need to work on this love verse 13 right love is the greatest and that is the bottom line you know again these big three faith hope and love but the greatest is love and why is that because it's the foundation for the other two without love you have no faith without faith you have no hope without hope, you die inside and out. But God wants us to live. And love is the greatest because in the end, that's the only thing that's going to matter is the love in our life. We won't need faith anymore because heaven will be a reality. We won't need hope anymore because heaven will be all yours. And when you're face to face with God, love will be the thing that sustains you for eternity. And that brothers and sisters is why love is the greatest. Happy Valentine's day. I hope you enjoy your day. And uh, let's make sure that we're loving, not only our husbands, wives, boyfriends, girlfriends, brothers, sisters, but let's love everybody. With the love that God has shown us. Amen. Thanks so much. Have a great day. This has been an episode of the Southern Connecticut Church of Christ Podcast. Please subscribe so you can keep up to date with the latest podcast.